Welcome to Better Than Nothing. What you are about to hear is just me being able to speak with some amazing people that come from many walks of life. This episode of Better Than Nothing is brought to you by Concept by Iowa Hearing. Your hearing is our priority. Visit iowahearing.com or call 877-955-4020 for a free hearing screening. That's 877-955-4020. Hello, this is Ken Root. What's your favorite thing to do on a Saturday morning? Well, mine is to go to a farmer's market, walk the length of the vendors, and then go through and buy the fruits and vegetables that look the best. I'm thinking of sweet corn, tomatoes, green vegetables, and then buy some homemade bread, perhaps a main course for dinner, take it home, and enjoy it. Well, today I want to talk about farmers markets with a very special guest, Kelly Foss, who was the executive director for the downtown Des Moines farmers market on Saturday mornings for over 20 years. This market is really hard to believe. It stretches for blocks. It has over 25,000 people who walk through it on an average Saturday morning. There's music, foods, vendors. It's great from May through October. If you haven't tried it, you should. So, the former executive director, Kelly Foss. Kelly, how are you? I am doing well, Ken. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you again, and we'll talk about what you're doing now, but I want to ask you about this market. And, of course, you, I have really fond memories of you. I'm not sure you have the same of me because <laughs> I was, I gave you a little bit of grief from time to time because it was such an enjoyable thing to do. Um, let's go back to 2005 as I came to Des Moines to WHO as a farm news broadcaster. And I found out that there were a number of things I wanted to do, but somebody at the station was already doing it. But one of the things they apparently did not want to do was to get up on Saturday morning and go down and cover the farmer's market. So I did. I made many friends, and I used it as a means to do a lot of interviews for the big show that ran, uh, you know, every day, Monday through Friday, and I would take those back and utilize them. I would record the music there. And so you and I started this relationship of talking about the market and the people and all of the things that went with it. What was your pathway to becoming the executive director? That goes way back, Ken. Way well, back. you're young. You're young. You can remember that far. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I was doing um, special events for the city of Des Moines uh, Parks and Recreation. I got a call from a fabulous woman. Her name is Mo Dana, and she was at the time the director of the Des Moines Arts Festival. And she said, "We have this role. We want you to apply." That's kind of what, you know, got me interested in, in, you know, moving on. I was doing quite a few large special events for the city of Des Moines at the time. Um, and so it was kind of my thing and I thought, why not? So I, um, that was kind of my, you know, starting point, I guess in 2000. And, um, so I initially I was hired to be half time Des Moines Arts Festival and half time 
working on like five different huge events, Ken. I'm talking like there was uh, an event in downtown Des Moines called Fire in the Sky. We also had um, Imagineve and Skywalk Golf and um, some others that I was in charge of. And so I worked on that for several years and it it was quite a lot. Um, so I kind of segued to, to, you know, not be doing the arts festival anymore and really focusing on some of these other bigger events that were growing like the fire in the sky and, and me being hired for the farmer's market is that I was hired as the director of special events going, going to be doing all these great events for downtown Des Moines. And then my boss said, Oh yeah, by the way, we also have this really, you know, Nice little quaint farmer's market. It's, it's pretty small. It's, it's okay. And <laughs> you'll be okay. Um, so it wasn't, you know, it was only p- a piece of what I got hired to do, but sort of fast forward, um, several years ahead, I'd grown to the market, the market to such a size that gave away all of the other special events to other folks in the community and, um, kind of stopped working on, on the arts festival and just solely focused on the farmer's market because I, I just kind of fell in love with it. And I had a sense that we had places to go with the farmer's market. So then I became just solely um, director of the farmer's market at that point. Well, it is amazing. Go back to your beginning of it in 2000. About how many vendors did you have or how many people did you have coming through? You were surely tracking that. Yeah, it was, I, I think, you know, in terms of size and what was going, I, I would say it was pretty respectable market. There were about 40 vendors. It was, uh, on 4th Street and, uh, on Court Avenue and also in a couple parking lots and a couple of parking lots that don't exist anymore because of the great development that has happened in downtown Des Moines. But so it was kind of a, in a couple of parking lots and a couple of streets at that point. Did you feel there was a time when it just exploded or was it steady growth? Yeah. Well, I was about five, five years into the market and I just knew that, um, there, there were a lot of places we could be going with the market. So I started traveling around the country, visiting other farmers markets and just learning tidbits about what other communities do, um, to grow their markets and just figuring out what vibe might work best for, for our market in Des Moines. And, um, along, along with that, I, you know, took board members to other markets went around the country and other markets even around the state and just start learning a lot about markets. You know, you know, I would say over 23 years, it was, it was really incremental, but there were some years of really fast growth or just really um, obvious growth. So uh, just as one example, um, if you've visited the market at this point in time, it's about 13 city blocks, you know, every Saturday morning, 7 a.m. to noon fills with about, you know, 25 to 40,000 people. So it's quite large. It hasn't always been that way. Uh, one of the things I think that really helped that growth. So essentially the market used to be set up and staged in a way where vendors were um, next to their vehicles. So there were rows of cars parked parallel to the curb, if you can imagine that, and, and vendors' tables were up on the sidewalk. So incrementally, we moved them out into the street to make more room on the sidewalks. And then a couple years later, we're like, whoa, we're filling these sidewalks. It's so crowded with customers. How about we do something very, very brave and ask the vendors to move move their vehicles off the street so that we can open up the street for customers to shop? And I would say that was one of the I mean, there was a lot that led up to that. Obviously, I felt the growth of the market happening. And as I look in the the sidewalks filling, 
I thought, well, we can't grow anymore. There's no room for anybody else. So that's kind of where this idea of creating um, a market where people can, patrons can shop from the street and the sidewalks. So once um, we accomplished that, I would say that that really was a, a, a turning point. Just there was so much room to move. There were there was room to invite more vendors to join us. Um, and it just felt more spacious and vibrant. It just really had a special vibe going at that point. Well, you had, uh, from the time I started coming, just a walkway right down the middle of the street with the vendors on the edges of the street up against the curb. And then there were people that were walking on the sidewalk. So imagine the streets, uh, Court Avenue would be the core in Des Moines at one end since the old courthouse. And then for about five blocks along with the side streets, you know, you have plenty of room for people to move through there. And you're, you're citing 25,000. If you get your arms around this, folks, this is a crowd. If they're not all there at one time. Uh, I don't know if you counted how long people stayed. I think one time I heard they stayed almost an hour, maybe longer. Is that right? Yes, we did. We did do some surveying and, um, you know, try to figure out the metrics and just the, you know, measurements and balances of how long people were shopping, who was coming, things like that. And people would visit between in the five hours, seven to noon, you know, yeah, usually about an hour, two hours. Um, because they were, they were shopping, they were grocery shopping, picking up food from, you know, farmers across the state, but also it was an experience. So they were experiencing what might, you might consider like the town square. And so, you know, the market has become somewhat iconic, I guess. Um, and it's sort of the place to be seen in downtown Des Moines. So, um, everyone wants to, (laughs) everyone has to be, you know, visit the market. So people did tend to start staying longer. And just enjoying the space that was created. Well, I like the people that came, but my heart was with those vendors generally. And, you know, paraphrasing the field of dreams up here in Northeast Iowa, if you build it, they will come. In this case, if you offer us 25,000 people walking by our booth over five hours, we will be there. And so these vendors started coming in to the point I really think when I first got there, you were screening vendors uh, and to let them in more than you were inviting them. You seem to have plenty of people who wanted to be vendors by that time. It really did flip, though. I mean, initially, I was doing a lot of recruiting, a lot of visiting farmers across the state. I was even visiting um, farm-related conferences, so a conference that was, you know, I might meet several organic growers or a conference I might meet. Um, beef producers that, you know, just trying to find people who would be interested in selling. And there was a lot of um, visiting in that way happening. And then it did kind of turn where we had a lot of interest. I think uh, one of the things I learned across the country and uh, other market managers would agree to this. Once you fill a market with amazing farmers, producers, you know, uh, meat, cheese, eggs, all of those things, Kind of everything else follows that. And so that's really what started happening. And that's when this, what you call screening started happening. We started doing, um, inviting a group of folks from the public who were um, farmers market uh, aficionados or farmers market advocates. Maybe they just love Des Moines. And we created this jury uh, process where applicants would be screened. And um, that way we always knew 
it wasn't necessarily first come first serve in in the way that we managed the market. It was really farmers come first. So we would always have space for new farmers and producers that were kind of up and coming. And, and that's how we were able to keep space for them is we'd fill the, fill the market with as many mar, uh, farmers who wanted to join us selling their um, amazing produce from across the state and then sprinkle in the extras, you know, the, the, you know, uh, unique artist, uh, maybe people making jewelry, handmade rugs, soaps, candles, um, of course, the street food vendors, because who doesn't want to have a breakfast sandwich when you're shopping at the market and sort of a great way to have, you know, fun on a Saturday morning. But that that's sort of how it started the whole um, making sure that we balanced the market in a way that it was definitely a farmer's market, but always something for everybody. And we were able to create this kind of town square experience as you're shopping the market. Let's take a moment to talk with Taylor Parker, who's the president of Concept by Iowa Hearing. Taylor, I've had your hearing aids for the last 17 years, and certainly they made a positive difference in my life. I'd like to ask you something about the modern day, though, and the research that you have found. Is there a link between an uncorrected hearing loss and dementia? Uh, yes, there is. The research came out about 10 years ago from Johns Hopkins University, uh, Dr. Frank Lynn. He found that you are anywhere from two to five times more likely to develop dementia with an untreated hearing loss. And, you know, everyone says, well, how can that be? And when you think about how hearing works, sound comes into the ear. It hits the eardrum. Eardrum vibrates, sends the signal over three little bones. The bones then send the signal to the cochlea that has 15,000 tiny little hairs inside of there. Those little hairs, as they get damaged, will either break off, get brittle, not move as well. The correct signal doesn't get to the brain. And think about it, you know, like, um, you know, radio, TV, any kind of signal, that signal gets jumbled. You can't piece together what's being said, so you struggle to watch the show. That is your brain with an untreated hearing loss. What happens is your brain pulls from two areas to compensate for that untreated hearing loss. It pulls from cognitive and it pulls from balance and gait. So cognitive being how we understand, how we converse, that gets actually damaged because it's getting pulled from to focus on an untreated hearing loss. That's where the link to dementia actually comes in. So it's because we're pulling valuable resources to focus on an untreated hearing loss, it speeds up that that aging of the brain. So you're anywhere from, even with a mild hearing loss, you're twice as likely to develop dementia. Taylor, thank you very much. You can schedule your free hearing screening at Concept by Iowa Hearing, 877-955-4020, or online at iowahearing.com. Every uh, street corner almost had some musician on it uh, or a group of musicians. And I, I, I assume you had to regulate those as well. But, man, there were some good people. And you could, you know, you're, you bought this food and you're eating it and standing there and just taking it all in. And especially on a nice day, of which most are at that time of year, it was just near heaven, I thought. <laughs> Just have all of those multimedia experiences happening. Yes, um, definitely. Ex- and it's, it's an experience, the sights and the sounds. And I mean, you could just smell the fresh baked bread and 
of course, all the, all the food cooking, like the breakfast burritos and, um, fresh cinnamon rolls. Such an experience. Uh, and we brought in musicians and entertainment and, but still, I always, I always knew that at its core, you know, and sort of in its heart, uh, the market is a robust, a robust market. So I just, you know, I just really love the vibe of the market and, and every single year sort of changing it in a way to, um, complement and sort of represent Des Moines, greater Des Moines and really Iowans in general. Kelly Foss is my guest. She was for over 20 years the executive director of the downtown farmers market in Des Moines. And, uh, the market has grown tremendously during that period of time. I really don't want to hear about the growing pains you had. Uh, in fact, I really don't want to hear about you talking about cinnamon rolls and other things because it makes me hungry to want to go down <laughs> there and have one immediately. But I wanted to talk about the vendors. I remember being asked by you to go on a tour with a couple of associates and you, and we went to see several vendors in the wintertime, and you swung us by a little greenhouse down near Indianola, and this young couple over there, Chelsea Soder and Tyler Flynn, they were about 19 at the time. They had a greenhouse called Busy Bee on his parents' farm near Indianola, and you introduced them as your youngest permanent vendors at the market. Do you remember that? I absolutely do. Yeah. Chelsea came from a farming family. Um, her uh, father is a beekeeper and him and his wife sell honey at the farmer's market. And so Chelsea really had a good start and kind of a just this passion and desire to become a farmer. And once she told me that she was going to start growing herself and along with Tyler, I knew that they were going to be kind of just a big hit at the market, which they turned out to be. Um, and I definitely remember taking you on the tour um, where we got to stop by their their place and visit them and learn more about their passion for growing and just being part of the farmer's market. That couple, they had fallen in love with each other. I fell in love with them because <laughs> they are such uh, hardworking, smart, cute people. And uh, so I remember taking a picture of them that day. I'm one of the best photographers in radio, and I took a picture <laughs> of them uh, along with my recording, and I didn't get their names right. I didn't realize they weren't married at the time, so sure. I think I referred to them as Chelsea and Tyler Flynn, and some of her friends said, oh, you guys got married. But this little <laughs> busy bee greenhouse, and I know her parents too, uh, Lawrence and uh, Jennifer well, uh, who sell uh, honey at the market. Uh, they were, you know, strongly in support. Tyler's parents were strongly in support. And so I kept checking on Tyler and Chelsea. And, of course, you go to the market, and people wanted to stop there and see them. And a few years later, after I left WHO, and I was working at WHO TV, totally unrelated, I had a noon market show, and I was able to sell commercials. So I realized they were, you know, still young in this and they were still at the farm. And I went to them and I said, uh, I'd like to uh, make a deal with you. Um, I'd like to give you a few commercials just to see how they work on this show. So we went down and we uh, shot the commercials with them. And Chelsea was pretty nervous about this and Tyler kind of floating along. And, and so we were trying to get something out of him. He was sitting in the chair. 
And she went over and she shoved the chair forward and he, she yelled, now get to work. And so we <laughs> laughed. And I thought, okay, now get to work. <laughs> well, that became the punchline of their commercials. But what happened was people just started showing up like crazy at their greenhouse during the <laughs> week buying this stuff. And then they would come by and see them at the market and recognize them at the market from being on TV. And it just worked really well. And I could tell everybody, look, you know, they were, they started at literally zero and now they were expanding. And of course, now they, they have a big greenhouse, uh, an event center down by Indianola. And now they're in their early thirties and they're doing very well. And it just was the greatest thing I think that happened to me. And I hope it was a boost for them. Let me ask you about another family, the Reinhardt family from Boone. They had a whole flock of young kids when I first started going there, and they all picked their own vegetables, and they brought everything to market. They were a great family. I was always impressed with them. Yes. Uh, you were speaking of Polly and Greg Reinhardt, mm-hmm. and um, they're from the Boone area, and they, they had been coming to the market for um, – well, probably since the early 90s, they were amazing. They have, as you noted, 10 kids, a flock of kids. Well, now they have a flock of grandchildren. <laughs> I think they're like 30 plus grandchildren. I, I, I feel bad. I don't know exactly how many, but I kind of lost track, but I'm not sure they know how many, you know, they're just moving <laughs> like crazy toward grandchildren. Right. But I saw, I saw pictures of double weddings that they were having. They said, we like double weddings. They cost less. <laughs> Yeah, why not? If you're going to marry one daughter off, marry the other one at the same time. Oh, they're fabulous, though. I mean, they they just, I just considered them, they just knew how to ground the market. You know, just if things started getting topsy-turvy, and they were just so grounding, even keel, always on target for just, you know, being um, just part of the cohesive community that I tried to create with the market. And, um, gosh, I just, I just looked. Fell in love with them so much. One of Greg's stories, um, I used to interview him fairly often because he's a sizable corn uh, and soybean grower in the real world. He's been on the board for Farm Bureau, uh, and they travel to national conventions through the years. So they weren't just farmer's market. They were they were farmers uh, in the truest sense as well. Yes. But yes. he said in the 80s, they had a real serious problem of not being able to make enough money to live. Uh, on just their farming operation. And so right. he and Polly were young, only had a few kids at the time, but having pretty much one a year after that. And he said uh, to her, we could start doing a farmer's market selling. And if we can do that, we might be able to make it through this awful agricultural recession. So they all began working and selling every Saturday there. And I assume some otherwise and they were able to make enough cash money to make it through that time. But yes. they liked it so well, and it became such a, a core of who they were that uh, their kids came to the market with them, and all the kids took part with them. Uh, they're one of these dream families that uh, every child was uh, very supportive of the family. I remember their oldest daughter was not married as of yet, and then, aha, she got married. And uh, her husband started coming to the market, and then they started having children. And just one after the other, uh, they grew that into uh, a whole tribe at this time. And they still come. 
uh, to the market uh, the last time I was there, and they are the most delightful, friendly people. They don't ever seem to forget you, and they look at it like a reunion every weekend when you show up and come over there, and you just can't resist buying something from them, of which they have extremely good produce. They do, and they had they had a little bit of everything um, in terms of their produce, and and Ken, um, they probably, they were at the market. They were with the market for, for sure 30 years, um, or plus, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly, but I, I'm just so sad, but also very happy for them to say that they are no longer at the market. They had such a following that they now have literally a market every Saturday at their own farm. So you can drive up to Boone, drive into their farm, see, see where they're growing this amazing produce, see their home. And um, shop like you're shopping at a little farmer's market. It is so amazing. And and that's really kind of a real testament of entrepreneurship, for one. But just just the following that um, some of our anchor vendors had um, by being part of the downtown farmer's market in Des Moines. Are vendors having trouble, in your view, keeping their operations going? Well, I think, um, you know, it depends. Um so for some of our vendors, uh, the market was their full-time gig. They're, they're full-time farmers. Um, and for others, it's a hobby. It's kind of what they do on the side of their full-time, full-time job. I think there were definitely challenges for, for all of the vendors in some way, shape or form, uh, the last few years. And so people had to get creative and, um, kind of figure out what they wanted to do next. You know, I hate to say uh, COVID really did have, you know, a little bit of a lasting effect on 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 some decisions that were made with farmers and producers and entrepreneurs that were participating at the market. And so, yeah, I think people did switch gears, but I think that's common, too. I mean, I, I started the market in 2000 and through the years, there have been so many amazing vendors kind of come and go. They might do three year stints, five year stints and it isn't something that, you know, they plan to do forever, but it's a way that they can um, test the market, grow their business, and then move on to other things. Well, I cited uh, a few times in speeches and debates uh, about are we running out of farmers? And I would throw people a curve and I'd say, no, you take every big city in this country and you draw a ring around that where that people have an acre of land or people have enough to grow a garden, and especially first-generation people who are moving here, and I don't want to cite ethnically specifically, but Asian, Indian, all kinds of different ethnic groups, Mm -hmm. there are members of that family that their part of the family is to grow that market garden, and then you see those people show up with their unique ethnic foods at the market, either fresh or cooked or whatever they may be, and they are contributing to the family's welfare and also expanding and diversifying that farmer's market. You saw it in Des Moines just like I've seen it in other cities. Yep. Yeah, that was was probably one of my, you know, favorite, I guess, pieces of the market is just the collaborations that we made across the community um, with so many people and just really making the market be able to, represent all people um, of Des Moines. And one of the uh, programs that I created, uh, I was collaborating with Lutheran Services of Iowa, and and we created a program uh, with their Global Greens program. And essentially, we were 
working with um, refugees who were growing food. Um, they were te- uh, the Global Greens Lutheran Services of Iowa was helping these new Iowans uh, grow food. And we worked with them to set up a kind of a, a model program for them so that we could help them learn to be entrepreneurs selling the food at the farmer's market. And so we, we put dozens of these uh, wonderful people in the Global Greens program um, through through the market and as part of the co-op booth. And many of them kind of expanded on beyond that into their own booth, selling, as you were noting, just unique produce and things we don't typically find for sale at farmers markets here in Iowa. So it's just, it was, that's kind of one of the things that I, I was, was really passionate about is building uh, programs and collaborations within the market that connected with the entire community. Some people listening to this may think that you and I are pretty Iowa or Des Moines centric, but in some of the surveys across the country of trying to rank the best of the farmers markets, how well did you do? Well, <laughs> um, well, I think it depends, you know, what year and it depends, you know, what I guess platform you're looking at. But typically our market has it's grown over the years, um, really ranked in the top three, usually the top 10 for sure, depending on, you know, I guess who you're asking. But in our hearts, of course, we're always, you know, at the top. But no, seriously, um, if you if you Google top farmers markets in the country, you'll see, you'll definitely see downtown farmers market. Um, listed in a, a, always in a list of at least top 10. So, um, and there are thousands of markets throughout the country. So it is something that we can, you know, be proud of. And something that I always loved about being at the market is, oh, I've met hundreds and hundreds of visitors over the years. And, and vendors also would always share with me that when customers would share with them that they came to Des Moines, especially to visit this downtown farmer's market, it was, it just seemed really special to us, you know, that people were doing that, you know, um, and we're trying to be humble about, you know, we have this market and we don't even really know how amazing it is until others from around the country are visiting, um, and telling us that they make us, you know, they, they make a special effort to come to Des Moines to visit the market. And these people were telling us they come from, I don't know, Texas, California, Florida, Omaha, you name it. But, um, I probably should have kept track in, but no, I think, I think that's a testament um, just when you're down there um, and, and get to listen to the stories of, of people who are visiting from other places. Well, you're a destination. There's no doubt about it. And if anybody gets a chance, uh, you start, as I recall, right at Mother's Day, and then you go through Halloween. Is that generally the year for you of the Saturdays all the way through there? Yeah. Actually, when I was uh, managing the market, we – started opening um, the first Saturday of May. We didn't wait for Mother's Day. Uh, so I think it's still opening first, sat- first Saturday of May and then um, through the end of October, yeah. I got a little Kelly story here that I think oh, is... Oh, goodness. <laughs> I was up at Sukup Manufacturing, and Sukup Manufacturing makes these big green bins. And so I was walking through with Charles Sukup, and this man stepped out, and they said, well, this gentleman, uh, Mr. Foss here, is our senior employee. And uh, I talked to him. He said, Ken, do you know my daughter-in-law? I said, well, (laughs) who would that be? And he said, well, Kelly Foss, she runs the farmer's market in Des Moines. And he was uh, extremely proud to say that. And it kind of put it all together here as well. So your husband comes from uh, good stock and 
you added to it. Yes. <laughs> it was very nice to, uh, to find all the people in Des Moines that, and around the state that, uh, you have touched in this job. And so I want to finish up with asking you, what are you doing now? Well, um, I am now the executive director for a, um, organization called the Iowa Agriculture Literacy Foundation. And, um, it's kind of a mouthful, full. <laughs> we call it IELF, lovingly call it IELF. Um, and essentially what we do is, um, and a little bit of, you know, what I was doing while I was working with the market, it just turned out to be a, a great segue of ag education. Um, but we help kind of amplify the knowledge and awareness really in the understanding of today's agriculture and the importance among all Iowans, but we really focus on uh, students K through 12. And a lot of what we do is we help educators. So formal educators like our, our teachers in the classroom, but also informal educators. We have um, across the state, there's this core group of uh, educators called Ag in the Class coordinators, and they really help teachers. They take in agriculture instruction into the classrooms. And our role is really to help teachers teach Ag in their classroom and in their regular um, kind of curriculum, curriculum. So their science, their math, their social studies. Um, we're, we're creating lessons for them to incorporate into classes they're already teaching. And we're also helping uh, the educators learn eggs, as many of them don't have um, a background in science or a background in ag education. So we're really helping to elevate that so that we can keep ag lessons in uh, in our classrooms and help kids learn where their food comes, where it comes from, where their fiber, where their clothing comes from, and and also fuel. Yeah, so that's kind of what, what we're doing. We, we help students and teachers um, know and understand kind of where, where their food comes from. Well, I think it's a great transition for you. You come from an organizational background, you come from the success you've had with this farmer's market. And so we go back a long way to the day that I was trying to find you and you could take me on a tour of the market and you said, I'll stand on the street corner. And I said, well, I've got a red pickup. And so this old, this guy in this red pickup drives up and this very attractive young woman hops into his pickup and off they go. And we kept that as a joke between us for the last almost 20 years, Kelly. So it's good memory. <laughs> yeah. talk to you again about this today and to wish you well in your new adventure and your new career. You know, you get a stripe on your shoulder for what you've done with that market that is um, is there forever. So thank you for what you did to make it what it is today. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Ken. Thanks for listening to Better Than Nothing. I hope you stayed awake for most of it and liked what you heard. If you'd like to tell me your thoughts or relate your memories... Send it to kenroot at gmail.com. We'll try to put out one of these every week, and you can sign up with your podcast service to be reminded when the next one's available. As I now turn 73 years old, I've decided to have two kinds of days, good ones and great ones. See you next week for another episode of Better Than Nothing.